Hey everyone, it's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is a special series, No Filter, Women Owning It Online. All week long, in collaboration with New York Magazine's The Cut, we're talking about how women portray themselves online, how we own it. This is day two. And I have features editor at New York Magazine, Noreen Malone. She is my friend today on the show. Hi, Noreen. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you are here. Now, yesterday we heard from your colleague, Allie Jones, and we talked to Lele Pons. She is this 21-year-old YouTube superstar. But on this episode, we have a very, very, very different kind of interview that we're going to hear. Trace Lissette. For people who haven't heard of her, Who is she? She is a trans woman and an actress who is well-known for her role as a trans woman and yoga instructor on Transparent. And she has been in the news recently because she is one of the women on the set of Transparent who has accused Jeffrey Tambor of sexual harassment while on the set. So she's kind of stepped beyond making a video series into politics, which is why we have you here with us. You have been part of covering the Me Too movement. What are you thinking about these days? (laughs) Big question. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what struck me is that It is such an issue in every single work environment you can imagine, right, from everything from public radio to (laughs) one of the, frankly, wokest shows on television. Willa Paskin, who is a television critic for Slate, had a line that's just stuck with me. She said, Transparent made the world too woke for Transparent or for (laughs) Jeffrey Tambor. That, you know, in the past few years, our thinking on these issues has evolved so rapidly and behavior in all kinds of workplaces, including in places that are women-led. You know, the plot line of Transparent could not be more feminist and forward-thinking, and yet even on a set like that, a dynamic like that, is replicating itself. And one of the most wonderful things, I think, though, that has come from Transparent is this ability for us to talk more openly about what it is like to be a trans person. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And to be heard in instances like this, right? And to be part of a movement like this. Okay, so let's listen to my interview with Trace, and then we'll come back for a little analysis at the end. My name is Trace Lissette, and I'm an actor in Los Angeles. So from what I hear from young women, there's this constant anxiety about, do mm-hmm. I look good enough? And, and What are they going to think that I am? Do I look, like, smart but also really sexy? It, just this constant <laughs> external voice, this conversation that they're having with themselves that is sounds exhausting to me. Yes. Um, I would have to agree it is exhausting. Oh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't put thought and effort into my online presence, whether it's my Instagram or whatever. (laughs) I'm going to be real with you. A part of me hates that, that I do curate what I put out there. But I think of my online presence as my brand. So it's something I've taken on because it's my work. But when I come across Instagram profiles of women who, you know, every photo is in a different location with a perfect body and a perfect set of implants. It does make me reflect back on myself and wonder, like, am I enough? Am I enough physically? Am I witty enough? Am I the right mix? You know, uh, all of that. 
So I went and looked at all of your social media feeds, Facebook, (laughs) Twitter, and Instagram, because I was like, well, how is she using these platforms? Like, is it a performance? Is it good for her career? Is it political? And here's the conclusion that I came to. It's a very savvy mix. It's a combination of all three. Like, for example, you you posted um, a nude photo with a caption about fighting for dreamers and immigrants with the hashtag made you look. Mm. I mean, that to me, like, it was so multi-layered. Like, you looked amazing. It had a message. (laughs) You called people out. It was very (laughs) clever. Tell me how you, like, you couldn't have just come up with that and, like, rolled out of bed and done that. Right. Well, I have a friend. His name is Kendrick Sampson. He's an actor and an activist as well. And he posts these selfies of himself. And he's a extremely good-looking man. And so I think a lot of his viewers might get sucked into the shell or the, the superficial. But then he always writes some sort of action item in the caption regarding civil rights or something he's feeling strongly about that day politically. And so I was like, hey, I'm stealing your action selfie (laughs) idea. (laughs) And I was just in front of the bookcase mirror in my living room one day after I woke up and I was nude and I just kind of covered the parts of me that obviously would be (laughs) censored. So it was like an artsy nude with books in, in, you know, like Bell Hooks was sitting right there and (laughs) uh, another photo book by my friend Gerard Gaskins from the ballroom scene. Uh, was, you know, they were just kind of, like, sitting there framing me. And then I was like, well, I could just post, like, an emoji. But people are obviously going to look at this photo because there's flesh. And, you know, that's easy stimulation for the eyes. So I was like, well, let me at least write a message for dreamers. I read in an interview that you said when—I want to quote you. You said, when you transition from male to female, sometimes you get caught up in the vanity of it all. I was so Mm -hmm. focused on getting my outside shell correct, and that's in quotations. It was like Mm -hmm. drilled into my head by my elders. Like, you have to be passable. You have to go get a sugar daddy. You have to use your only resource, which is your body. Can can you explain that sentiment and and whether that thinking has changed both for you personally and for society at large? These are great questions. Yes. Okay. So back in the day, my generation of of trans women from New York, we were just kind of all in the struggle together. And this was pre-trans healthcare. Um, You would, you know, take the F train to 18th Avenue in Brooklyn and (laughs) go buy your hormones on the street from some dude. And you would just kind of learn the ropes through this underground railroad of trans women who have existed in a society that didn't make space for them for decades. Mm-hmm. And you you just kind of learn to strive for certain things. One of them was to be, quote-unquote, passable, which means to blend and to kind of get through and not be, like, clocked by cis-heteronormative society so that you can just exist and live a safe life without drama without trans violence and just the more kind of passable that you were, it was just seen as a goal. I don't have a college education and a lot of the girls who paved the way for me were not fortunate enough to get that kind of academic privilege or experience. And so a lot of times we ended up doing sex work or using our body, which was like a lot of times the only resource that we had. 
And so it was very easy to get caught up in the outside, the shell, Hmm. what you feel like is the goal. And when the media is constantly feeding you images of perfect, conventionally beautiful cis women, we inevitably ended up striving for that. I don't think there was many positive images of what trans beauty looked like outside of cis normative beauty standards when I was growing up. Mm. For me, I think that's definitely changed. I had to get to a place, especially with acting, where I could not be caught up in my exterior because if you are, it's hard to be vulnerable in the work. So I think acting saved me from Mm. that. And also the national conversation about being trans and seeing more images of us in the media definitely shaped a new view for me of what I feel like is beautiful, what I feel like can be beauty outside of the mainstream. Sometimes I feel like being online just continues to sort of emphasize, as you put it, the outer shell. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will say, like, the pictures that you post of yourself, you look, you know, like a supermodel in most of them. It seems very— <laughs> Well, I'm not. <laughs> but, but I it's... would love a supermodel contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? When, yeah, so, seriously. Yeah. But but when you say, like, normative standards mm-hmm. of beauty, you know, you have long, beautiful hair and almond eyes and, you know, chiseled sort of cheekbones— um, you're right. I mean, I do present pretty femme, and I had to get to a place where I'm also okay with that because I feel like femme gets mm. policed amongst the revolution even. When you're femme, people don't take your word as seriously. They find you not as powerful. All of these things that affect you and people's subconscious perception of you. For me as an actress, I kind of have to be a canvas. And so— Yes, my hair is long and brown, and the kind of image I normally portray could be considered conventional. But growing up, I was very unconventional. So I had many years of being unconventional. I kind of, I kind of enjoying the way that I look right now, and this is me pretty much natural. But who knows? Maybe in the future I'll feel like I can shave my head or do something out of the norm for me and not feel like I'm going to lose jobs because of it. Mm-hmm. You had said before that on your first job on Law & Order that you weren't Mm -hmm. telling anyone, as you put it, I was not disclosing my transness. Mm -hmm. How did you decide to change that? That must have been a very big decision, not just emotionally, but also financially. Yes. Well, it was a combination of things. Um, There was a trans woman who passed in my neighborhood. I was living in Harlem at the time. Her name was Elon Nettles, and she shifted my life because, I mean, she passed a block from my house, and it really shook me up because I used to walk down Lenox Avenue every day and and get catcalled, and she had been catcalled. And then, you know, one of the guy's friends clocked her and figured out that she was trans and kind of announced it, and then they, you know, beat her, and she died. I always felt like I had bobbed and weaved my way around that kind of violence as a young trans girl in New York City trying to become whatever, passable, you know, safe, finding a safe space and carving out a space for myself. But I felt like that was such an in-your-face reminder that I just couldn't ignore our reality. And part of me wanted to change the way the world looks at trans women as this, like, threat, Mm. as this outcast. And then the other part of it was 
Laverne Cox is a good friend of mine for many years, and she had just done Orange is New Black, and I was getting to see a trans woman being celebrated in a way that was like I'd never seen before Mm. because I feel like the world had caught up. And so I saw space for me to go there to kind of live out loud authentically. At some point, I just made the decision to start auditioning for trans roles. And it was just like the universe was waiting for me to live out loud and to be a voice and step into all of my struggle and my pain and use it in my work. You use the word safe and safety a lot regarding your physical space. What about online? You mentioned that the internet can be a very hateful place. Do you remember the first time you posted something that was openly trans-related? And, and I mean, I can only imagine that there was a knot in your stomach when you did. Mm-hmm. One of the very first things I posted was about Elon Nettles' death. And even just posting something trans-related, even though it wasn't about me, I did have knots in my stomach. And um, I remember feeling this duality of, like, feeling empowered and strong and proud of myself and at the same time being really scared. When we come back, the most recent risky thing that Trace has been talking about out loud. We're back. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This is No Filter, a special series from Note to Self and our friends at New York Magazine's The Cut. It's day two of this five-part series, and I'm talking to actor Trace Lissette, who got her big career break by being cast for Amazon's big show, Transparent. I want to ask you about playing Shay on Transparent. Your most famous scene on the show was the one where you and the character Josh almost get it together romantically, but then he kind of acts <laughs> like an idiot. Like, how do you describe that scene? Um, it was a gift. It was painful and cathartic. And uh, those two days out in Palmdale were so barren and sunburned and windblown and magical all at the same time. So that scene was really powerful for me, and I was happy to receive that kind of material with that kind of grit that I could just dive into because I think as trans people in the industry, we don't always get handed the meaty text. We don't always get handed really profound scripts. And I think the world has absolutely no clue of what we're really capable of. And you wrote a Me Too post accusing Mm -hmm. actor Jeffrey Tambor of inappropriate behavior on the set of Transparent. Amazon did an investigation, and because of those and other sexual harassment claims, he is not returning to the show. How do you feel about that? It was uh, really painful and um, one of the hardest things I've ever had to take on in my life, but not the hardest thing I've ever been through. I think that the walk of life I come from is not for the faint of heart. As a trans woman with limited resources, estranged from my family, having to find chosen family to kind of uplift me in a world that just did not make space for us. I guess what I'm trying to say was advocating for myself in that way publicly 
it forever changed me. How much do you worry about there being backlash for changing a show that millions of people love? Of course I worry a little about that, but it wasn't a choice. I had to speak my truth and be on the right side of history. I can't really analyze that too much about what people are going to say. I just know that I, morally, I did the right thing. Yeah, and you have to get up every morning, right, with yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I have to continue to put energy into new projects that are going to push my career forward and so that when you do Google my name, it's not the first (laughs) thing that you see (laughs) because that's so insignificant in the journey of my life and all of the things that I've endured. There was this great quote from an interview you did, and you said, I want to be triggered. I want to bleed emotion into the camera. I'll be 36 this fall, and I am done being silent. I mean, Mm -hmm. is that what being in your 30s is all about? Yeah, for me, I feel like I played by the rules, quote-unquote, for like so many years, trying to blend, trying to be beautiful, trying to pass— trying to do all the right things. And when I let go of all of that, it was liberating for me. And I think the older you get, the more comfortable you get with self and the closer you get to true self-love. So I don't know how old you are now. Are you 40 yet? Not yet. Not yet. Sorry, I didn't (laughs) want to push you there too soon. It's not so bad, actually. Um, But in any case, (laughs) in Hollywood, I mean, that's... Old lady status, right? Or that's changing, too, very slowly. But Mm -hmm. things change for people after a certain age in the industry. What's what's your strategy? (laughs) Uh, Well, I got lucky, first of all. My mother looks really young. And, you know, I (laughs) generally— I mean, I played a 21-year-old on Blunt Talk, like, three years ago. But— All right, well, now you're just bragging. That's unfair. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 that's a blessing, but I, I am very much invested in changing the fact that Hollywood has this cap out on when an actress is deemed work Expired. worthy. <laughs> exactly. It's so ridiculous. It's like we're milk. Um, it's, ugh, that's so fucked up. And I, it makes me angry because it, I mean, women are like fine wine. And I think there is a shift happening. I feel like patriarchy is toppling. I feel like all of those toxic beliefs are going out the window. The new generation is not having it. And I think that we're seeing more and more marginalized stories being told, and they're succeeding. There's definitely a shift in what kind of stories are really taking it to the bank. Yeah, the bank part matters a lot, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Trace Lissette, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was great. Okay, so that was my interview with Trace Lissette, and I'm back in the studio here with Noreen Malone. She's features editor at New York Magazine. Was there anything that surprised you in that interview? I sort of love what she said about, you know, I I was sort of an outsider for so many years. Like, don't hassle me about what I want to do with my self-image. But as far as, you know, someone having a brand online, it's so interesting to have watched the Me Too thing unfold. Social media has obviously been such a huge part of it, and it has been a megaphone for women. We've been able to amplify each other, really. But, you know, this all kicked off with the accusations against Harvey Weinstein by a lot of actresses who were well-known and, you know, conventionally attractive. And society, quote-unquote society, might listen more (laughs) if you have, 
this curated, conventionally attractive brand. So I don't quite know what to think, right? Because on the one hand, you don't want women to have that pressure. On the other hand, it has been an undeniable part of why this has caught fire. And that's what makes it so interesting is there is no answer. There's no right way, right? We're all all just figuring it out together, which is why we should talk about it. Totally. Totally. Okay, more figuring it all out tomorrow because you know the official and controversial portrait of First Lady Michelle Obama? Well, I talked to the woman who painted it, Amy Sherald. She had a heart transplant a few years back. She calls herself a late bloomer. And she says many more fascinating things. Um, And you're also going to hear from The Cuts' Allison P. Davis. Actually, Allison hates being interviewed, but she so loves Amy Sherald and this painting that she could not resist. So it's a good one. Tune in tomorrow. Oh, and by the way, you know who we want to hear from really on this show? It's you. We want to know, how have you decided to portray yourself online? How would you describe your digital self? Here's one voice memo we got. I think that the person I portray online is funny and active and very confident in her convictions and articulate. And that's not natural. There's time and thought that goes into that. And I don't hate it. And I don't hate that I love it because on days when I'm feeling less confident in myself or less secure, it's kind of nice to have this better version of myself pop up and be like, hey, Rachel, for the record, you know, you might feel a little crummy today, but you sure killed it on Wednesday. So I don't know who that girl is in my Facebook feed, but she's cool and she gives me confidence sometimes when I need it. So that's who she is. And I like her. You can record a message at our website, notetoselfradio.org slash share. Or, as always, you can record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at note2self at wnyc.org. You can also tweet us or just write us an email or go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever you want. Uh, just use the hashtag omit. So many ways to get in touch. Also, visit our site, notetoselfradio.org and thecut.com to find links and to see the portraits of the wonderful women that we're talking to all week long. For now, the Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plord. Many, many thanks to Justine Daum, Keegan Zima, Ernie Indradat, and Anya Zuzik for their help producing this special series. Hannes Brown, love you. He composed the music for No Filter. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening.